Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, the Jazz, you just don't know what they're going to do. You don't know what they're going to do, when they're going to do it, how they're going to do it. A team that struggled for a couple of games, didn't look good against Minnesota, and got beat both times. Comes out without Mike Conley and scores a team record 154 points. And beat Sacramento easily. That game was uh, out of hand at halftime. Just got further out of hand in the third quarter, and the fourth quarter was all garbage time. For all of you who've been voting, yeah, rest guys, rest them in the fourth quarter after the game's blown out. Well, there was your game. Yeah, that game was blown out at the end of three quarters. And sure enough, the end of the bench comes into the fourth quarter and did not let up at all. So, franchise record, most points in Jazz history, blowout win, and the Jazz hold on to first place in the West for a couple more days. Jazz get the win over the Kings. The other game, of course, the Suns in Phoenix hosting the Clippers. They led most of the game. Clippers made a good run, got close in the fourth quarter. Suns pulled away and win it. So the Suns stay one game behind the Jazz, and they will play for first place. Friday night, and the Jazz will be shorthanded. Conley with some kind of a hamstring issue, injury, slight injury. Um, uh, felt it at the uh, late in the game in Minnesota. Didn't play. Don't think we're going to see him. Don't think we're going to see him for a while. Uh, Quinn got asked about it in the pregame, and you know they kind of tried to pin him down, but he was having none of it, and you know, so I wouldn't expect Mike to play, but uh, I wouldn't expect him to play for a while now. But we'll have to see how this plays out. For one night, they certainly didn't miss him. Could it be different Friday? Absolutely. The Kings were a not good team that did not play. Very much defense. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. So the Jazz get the win. The uh, first place will be up up for grabs Friday night, though, because the Suns have the tiebreaker. They stay a game back. So if they win, it'll be a tie for first. The Suns love the tiebreaker and, and take over first place. It's been a long run, but the Jazz are going to have to come up with something uh, something pretty special on Friday night. They're going to have to do it shorthanded without Mitchell. And it looks like they're going to have to do it without Conley. So we'll see what they do. But for one night, the ball went in the basket. And probably didn't go in any better for anyone than rather than George Niang. I mean, that guy, he is really feeling it now. And he just picked up right where he left off in Minnesota and was just hitting shots. So it's good to see. It was easy for the Jazz, and they get the victory. All right, there's a little NFL news. The Denver Broncos make the trade with the Carolina Panthers and get Teddy Bridgewater. And then say they're still in the market for a quarterback. And now Carolina looks like they're in a market for a quarterback. And are the Patriots going to move up and get in front of both of them? The, all the hype, all the, uh, the curiosity, all of that keeps, uh, keeps building as we get close here, get closer and closer to the draft. It'll start tonight, first round. We'll see how it plays out as we're going to have a run on quarterbacks right at the start. Who's going to make deals? Who's going to move? Who's going to go for QBs? Broncos still say they're in the market. they got Bridgewater, and they've got management that came from Minnesota, and he was in Minnesota, so there's a link there. But uh, it was not a great year for uh, Teddy Bridgewater in uh, in Carolina. And, uh, I think, uh, he was 0-8 in one-score games when they had the ball at the end of the game, the chance to tie or to take the lead. It just, it just never worked out for him. So 
He's, uh, he's bounced around, rebuilt his reputation in New Orleans with that 5-0 and stint as the uh, starter when Drew Brees was out, got his uh, big-money contract in Carolina, and now Carolina's going to pay most of that contract. <laughs> so they moved him. They wanted him off the roster, and they'll do whatever it takes. And if that means paying him, you know, they're going to pay him. And now Denver, it looks like Drew Locke will lose the job, probably. Uh, to Bridgewater, um, but will the Broncos go out and get another quarterback here on draft night tonight? We're gonna, we'll see how that goes. But uh, it looks like uh, <laughs> it looks like that job is wide open in Denver, and certainly Carolina. Now they went and got Sam Darnold, and they move on from Bridgewater, um, but they also could go out and get a young quarterback. So uh, all bets are off tonight. We'll see how that plays out, but. That was the big news uh, in the NFL. So there you go. Jazz get the win. Broncos make a trade. Looking for a QB. And we'll see how that shakes out with the draft tonight. All right. We're going to take a break right now. Still to come, DJ and PK. we got the best of the postgame show coming up later this hour. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. All right, we're going to talk a little draft here. We had Luke Easterling on from the uh, Draft Wire to kind of get us up to speed on how things are going to shake out. This is from uh, late in the show yesterday. Of course, he did not know that the Broncos were going to make a quarterback trade at that point. Uh, but... There are still a lot of questions about these guys at the top of the draft, the quarterbacks, what order should they go, what order will they go. Here's Luke with PK and I on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. DJ and PK brought to you in part by The Warehouse. Join the big show Friday at The Warehouse from 2 to 6 p.m. Price is so low it'll blow your mind. Boom! Time to welcome in Luke Easterling, editor of The Draft Wire and The Bucks Wire for USA Today Sports Media Group. Luke, good morning. Good morning, guys. How we doing? Good. So as the countdown clock ticks down, we get closer to the draft. You ready to get on with this already? Man, this thing has been analyzed and hyped. And we know where the top picks are headed, at least the top two. People might be able to think they can guess the top three. The Niners are trying to play the cards close to the vest. But set aside the picks. Who do you have the most confidence when we look back at this draft? You get five or six years down the line. Who do you have the most confidence in actually delivering on the potential that's promised by one of these uh, first few picks? Uh, you know, so much of that comes down to where they go, I-, I think. So on the front end, it's a little difficult to say anybody other than Trevor Lawrence, right? Because, you know, we know he's going number one. We know that, honestly, that the Jaguars don't have a, a really bad roster in terms of teams that you're used to seeing picking number one. Obviously, they haven't had a whole lot of team success uh, since losing that AFC title game, but this roster is really not, not that bad. So I think that the fact that the Jags are going to take him at one, they've got an additional first-round pick, they've got multiple second-round picks, they've got a chance to, to really build around Trevor Lawrence very quickly and be successful. So, I mean, you know, that's the easy answer because we actually know where he's going to end up. But I think if I were to, to, to bank on a player, no matter where he lands, I still don't understand the, the, the idea that Justin Fields is going to fall 
out of the top five, maybe even out of the top ten. That's preposterous to me in terms of my evaluation of him as a player. Um, obviously, Zach Wilson's probably going to go number two. I would take Justin Fields at number two with that without question. Um, so I, I think whoever ends up with Justin Fields, whether it's a team trading up to get him, New England from 15 maybe, maybe they jump up uh, ahead of Denver and Carolina at, at number seven with Detroit. But I think whatever team is lucky enough to land Justin Fields outside the top five, uh, if that happens to uh, to take place, I think that's what we'll look back on. Similar to the fact that you know when when the Bears traded up for Trubisky and left Watson and Mahomes on the board, I think it'll be that similar kind of move, especially if we see Mac Jones go ahead of Justin Fields. So obviously, then you're at odds with what the Jets are expected to do, in that you believe that Fields is going to be better than Wilson. Why is that? I see a guy who is way more consistent on film. Uh, I think I, I see a guy who is bigger, more physical in the pocket, and, and can can handle um, you know the, the the rigors of an NFL game and handling a pass rush. Obviously, you know the one of the biggest reasons Sam Darnold didn't succeed in, in New York was you know his supporting cast wasn't that great, and particularly along the offensive line. So with a guy like Zach Wilson, if you're putting him behind that same offensive line. I don't know how well that's going to go. And I think when you compare the, the, the highs on, on Zach Wilson's film are great. If you make a highlight reel of Zach Wilson, he looks like a potential number two overall pick. But if you make a low light film, you'll wonder why he's being drafted at all. So I think that's where it comes into with me that the consistency is just not there. Obviously the flashes are incredible. And I blame Patrick Mahomes. You know, you, get, you have a guy like Wilson who can make some of those Mahomes like throws especially when he escapes the pocket and he can sling the ball, change arm angles and do all these fun things. And that's exciting. But Mahomes is great because he also takes the layups. He can hit the layups. He can be consistent with his accuracy. And I feel like Zach Wilson just didn't do that enough for me on film. And again, usually his team was the best team on the field, if not always last year. And the fact that he was still inconsistent and not able to be dominant on a consistent level against lower-level competition, that gives me concerns. And when you contrast that with what Justin Fields was able to do against some of the top competition, particularly that performance against Clemson while playing injured, I just don't understand why that's a conversation. So if you're one of the quarterbacks the Jets pass on, should you be happy about that because they don't have enough around you to make anybody successful, no matter who they pick? Or do you think with a new coaching staff, new regime, uh, the talent's going to get upgraded and whoever it is, probably Zach Wilson, but whoever it is is going to be dealt a better hand than Sam Darnold was? Yeah, I do think there is some some hope to be had there. I don't know if I would call it confidence because we haven't seen that team on the field yet, but I think they made a great hire with with Robert Sala. I think that, you know, Joe Douglas probably can't do any worse than than the management that's been uh, in charge in New York for the last few regimes. Um, but yeah, I think if and even if you look at the way they attack free agency, they signed some really quality players, particularly on defense, um, to to really help that side of the ball. So I do think that there's some hope there that the Jets have kind of turned a corner, turned over a new leaf, and, and are willing to build a winner around whatever quarterback they take it to. But it wouldn't surprise me. You know, like I said, it's all about where you land. So I think, obviously, on draft weekend, every player wants to go as high as possible. Financially, obviously, that's helpful as well. But at the end of the day, especially a quarterback, it's so important to go to a team that, you know, is going to build around you and your skill set and make you successful. So, you know, going two or five or ten matters a lot less down the road if you end up in the right place that allows you to live up to your full potential. 
I don't know if you saw this piece in Sports Illustrated on Trevor Lawrence, but he seems to go out of his way to say, and this is a quote, there's also more to life, there's also more in life than playing football. Uh, any concern there? No, not at all. And, and I wrote about that for DraftWire not long after those comments came out because I think it's something that needs to be said more often. I, I think it's a refreshing perspective from someone who was crowned a long time ago for this pick, right? I mean, we, you know, as soon as he hit the field at Clemson, we were like, oh, this guy is special. And then he dominates Alabama in the national championship as a freshman. And we're like, man, we got to wait three years to draft this kid. And he lived up to it all along the way. He made it. He's going to go wire to wire as that number one overall pick. So to hear a kid like that admit that he cannot pretend that he has had it hard, right? He, he can't pretend he's Tom Brady where everybody's doubted him and everybody's, you know, said he couldn't do it. Everybody has said he could do it. Everybody has said he could do everything. So when he says things like, I don't have that chip on my shoulder and I can't fake it, I can't manufacture that, I like hearing that from a player who's not going to BS you and blow smoke. So, you know, the fact that he has a great perspective in terms of how important football is to him and how internal motivation is important but understanding that at some point, you know, the, the switch has to flip off and you have to go be a human being and you have to realize that football is a game, it's a job, and yes, you want to go out and be the best you, you can be at it. But I think we need to see this more from players. We need to, and, and fans and, and the media, we need to react positively to that because I think that contributes heavily to some of the struggles these players have after they leave the game because their identity has been so wrapped up in what they do on the field that it's really hard for them to, to, to go to that next thing once they're out of the game. And I think there's just so many layers to that. And I think the more we see big-name players like Trevor Lawrence continue to talk about that and be honest and, and you know, very forthcoming about the, the, the realities of, of off-field life and, and maintaining that work-life balance, I think that's important. We're joined right now by Luke Easterling, editor of the Draft Wire and the Bucks Wire for USA Today. Sports media group talking NFL draft. So assuming that five of the top nine and, you know, maybe the Patriots trade up and it ends up being five of the top seven picks or quarterbacks, history says two or three, maybe four of them uh, will be busts and not worth it. But for all the people, and we have plenty of Utah fans right now who want to hear you say more negative stuff about Zach Wilson, that he's not going to make it. There's pl- there's a, the rivalry is alive and healthy here. But I think that the thing we've seen with the draft now is if you want a quarterback who's got a decent chance of being a starter, you got to go all in on a top 10 pick. You got to pass on whatever generational talent there is available at other positions because the draft, everybody who's got a shot is going early. You can't wait until the middle or end of the first round or later anymore. I mean, like the last four or five drafts, there hasn't been a third or fourth round guy who's made it. So should we criticize these teams too much for reaching these for these guys? Because it doesn't seem to be another path. Yeah, I think, you know, you, you do have the, the rare outliers. You have guys like Dak Prescott, who was a fourth-round pick. Mm-hmm. You have a guy like Lamar Jackson, who should have obviously been a much higher pick than number 32. But again, it goes back to what I said before. It, it comes down to teams being willing to do what's necessary around those quarterbacks to make them successful. And, and to your point about passing on generational talents at other positions, look at a team like, you know, the, the Lions who took Calvin Johnson at number two. And nobody would doubt that Calvin Johnson lived up to that, right? He was everything we thought he would be. He's a Hall of Famer. 
but it didn't matter. <laughs> you know, and, and Matt Stafford wasn't even really a bad quarterback, but it's, it's, you know, look at a team like Cleveland taking Miles Garrett, who has lived up to everything that you expected Miles Garrett to be, but it's because Baker Mayfield has been successful as a quarterback that that team is now in the playoffs and the fact that they've built around him as well. So you can take, you know, the Browns, <laughs> Joe Thomas was one of the best left tackles we've ever seen. And he never played a playoff game. <laughs> so, you know, you can hit on that incredible talent at even another premium position, whether it's a pass rush or an offensive tackle. And that guy can be a Hall of Fame player, and it won't matter if you don't have the quarterback. So, while, you, like you said, the, the history says that half, half or more of these guys are going to be, be busts at the top of the draft, it, you still got to have one. So you got to just take a swing and hope you're one of the one or two that hits on the right guy. In addition, it's to quarterbacks' profiles rising, which is obvious. It seems like corners and receivers, and maybe I'm off on this, but it just seems to me that their profiles have risen, and it's important to have those corners and receivers. And I look at this draft, at least in the first round anyway, and that's what we'll focus on for the first day, obviously. It seems like we could have four or five uh, of those position players going early. Who do you like there? Yeah, and I think, again, when you talk about position value, it all relates to the quarterback, though. You've got to protect the quarterback if you have one. You've got to get after the other guy's quarterback, and you've got to make his life easy with pass catchers, and you've got to make his life hard with guys covering those guys. So it all comes back to making life easy or hard for your quarterback and the other, the other quarterback. So this year's class is a, is a really good one for both of those positions in terms of corner and wide receiver. Obviously, at the top of the draft, you've got LSU's Jamar Chase. The, the Alabama pair, Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith, I think all three of those guys are, are kind of in a tier of their own. There's some intriguing kind of undersized but explosive playmakers that, that all could challenge to go in the first round and I think would be good values outside of the first round. Elijah Moore from Ole Miss, Rondale Moore from Purdue, Kadarius Toney from, uh, from Florida. If you like a bigger, more physical guy, Rashad Bateman from Minnesota uh, is going to be worthy of a first-round pick, in my opinion. I think he'd be a great fit for Baltimore. Uh, we mentioned Lamar Jackson and building around him. He'd be exactly what that offense needs. Um, and then at corner, you've got kind of a, a, a two-headed monster at the top. You've got Patrick Sertain Jr., uh, which just still makes me feel really old to say. Him and Asante Samuel Jr. in the same draft just makes the gray hair just multiply by the minute. Um, but And J.C. Horn is the other one, who's Joe Horn's son. So I, I can't win either way with this corner class. Um, but, yeah, both of those guys, I think, could be – the first defender off the board. This is going to be a really rare draft in which we could get all the way to pick 10 before we see a defensive player taken off the board. So I think the Cowboys at 10 would love that scenario. They have to take defense, I think, at that pick and to be able to take their pick of all the defensive players in this draft. And I think it would be a corner certain uh, or horn would make a lot of sense there. But, yeah, it's a good year to need a top corner or a top wide receiver at the top of the draft. So I'm all in on Pitts, and that makes PK laugh, but part of the magic of the show is PK laughing at me, so in a weird way it works. Uh, am, I, am I too far in on this guy? Is he a slam dunk? Is there uh, something that could uh, get him untracked and mess it up? Is he the guy? I mean, obviously I think part of that does come down to how you use that guy, but if you can't maximize that potential, you should probably not have a job in the NFL. Um, he's the best non-quarterback in this draft. He is number two overall on my board. 
uh, in terms of just grading and ranking the players individually in a vacuum. So it's Trevor Lawrence and then it's Kyle Pitts. Um, and honestly, his athletic profile, no matter what position you call him, is basically, I mean, the closest we've really been able to find is Calvin Johnson. I mentioned him earlier, and, and I, I hate to make comparisons with Hall of Famers to rookies because it's just not fair, but athletically, he compares very favorably to Megatron. So when you talk about adding that guy to your offense, you can call him a tight end, you can call him a wide receiver, I call him a unicorn. You can call him whatever you want. That guy with that skill set is going to be able to dominate at the next level. He's big. He's athletic. His arms are ridiculously long. He's got the largest wingspan in this draft. Those are all things that quarterbacks are going to love. No matter where he lands, I think he's going to be a difference maker. He can make plays at all levels of the field. Obviously, he's going to dominate in the red zone. He's he's the kind of guy who's not covered even when he's covered. And, and when you're always open like that, you can win those contested catches. Quarterbacks are going to fall in love with you. I think he is the real deal. I think he's worth a top-five pick. If he falls anywhere lower than that, it's going to be a one we remember for a long time. Harrison, ETN, the only possibilities for running backs going in the first round? you like somebody else? No, not at all. And I think, honestly, Javante Williams from North Carolina, I'd put money on him going in the first round instead of uh, Travis HN from Clemson, for sure. I think that that's definitely the top tier, those three. But if I had to, if I had to put money on it, I'd, obviously I think Harris would be the first off the board. Uh, but I think Javante Williams from North Carolina has a better chance of cracking the first round than HN at this point. So under your theory, which I think makes a lot of sense, that what makes a quarterback's life better and makes quarterbacks more productive, why don't running backs get more play? I mean, isn't Ezekiel Elliott making Dak, when he's healthy, obviously, uh, Dak Prescott, and apparently he's going to be back to health this year, doesn't he make Dak Prescott's life a lot easier and make him a better quarterback, the threat of that run game? Absolutely, and, and this is the part of that running back conversation that's, that's more complex than people want it to be, I think. I think people want to either say, well, you have to take a quarterback, a running back this high to make it make sense or make a difference, or you can wait until the fourth round because, you know, look at these examples. We always want to use the outliers. We always want to use the exception to, influ- you know, to, to justify the rule, and that's not how that works. When it comes down to it, no matter what position – you take really good football players and you'll be okay. And that's when, when I think about a guy like Najee Harris, you know, people will say, oh, you know, it's too early to take a running back at 24 if you're Pittsburgh or even if you're 18 at Miami. Not when it's a really special player, a really good player. You're 6'2", 235, and can do what Najee Harris can do physically and, and he's a three-down back and can make plays in the passing game, the running game. I don't care what position that guy plays. He's a, he's a very special player and I want him on my team. So... You know, just because the Jaguars found James Robinson last year the way they did doesn't mean everyone can do that, or doesn't mean that you know every running back in the fourth round has a better chance of, of being a better value for you than taking a guy like Ezekiel Elliott at four. If you determine that this guy can be a special player for your offense and, and be such a difference maker, and again take so much pressure off your quarterback, obviously you have to have the offensive line to allow that guy to work. But I, I just don't buy into this. You know, you can just find a court, you can find a running back later. You can find one later. Yeah, every now and then somebody does, but that doesn't mean you should pass up the best ones in the draft if that's something you need because you think you can be the one to find the one or two guys in the later rounds that'll end up being productive. That's not how it works. Well, Luke, we appreciate the time and the insight. We'll be fascinated to see how it works out, and all eyes are on Zach Wilson here. Uh, we appreciate the time. Thanks a lot.
Hey, my pleasure, guys. Enjoy the draft. Luke Easterling, you can read him. He's the editor of the Draft Wire and the Bucks Wire for USA Today Sports Media Group. There's Luke Easterling from the Draft Wire. When we come back, the best of the post game show. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280, The Zone. The Utah Jazz went out and got a win, convincingly. They blow the Kings off the floor in Sacramento. How did they do it? What happened? For more on that, here is the best of the post-game show on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It's your Jazz recap here on DJ and PK. On 97.5 and 1280 The Zone, Jake Scott with you. The Jazz win in record fashion last night over the Sacramento Kings. Even though they had no Donovan Mitchell and no Mike Conley, 154 to 105 just blew out the Kings big time. In fact, 154 is the most points scored in Utah Jazz franchise history. It's also the biggest margin of victory in Jazz franchise history with 49. And in fact, 116 points is the most points they've scored after three quarters in franchise history. So it was a record-setting night. Jazz had eight players in double figures, uh, led by Boyan Bogdanovich, who had 24, Clarkson with 23 coming in off the bench. Uh, Matt Thomas was a perfect 7 of 7 from the field. He had 17 points. Jarrell Brandley had 13 coming in off the bench. George Niang was red hot pretty much from the start of the game. He finished with 19 points. Big time uh, performance from the Utah Jazz, and and frankly, uh, very little resistance from the Sacramento Kings. Kings, who certainly lived up to their uh, worst defensive rating in the league. Uh, and uh, really, not a whole lot of effort there, uh, certainly from the Sacramento Kings. They did get 18 out of Holmes and 18 out of Buddy Heald. But what they could not get was a stop all night long. And as a result, the Jazz score 154 and uh, blow out the Sacramento Kings on the same night the Phoenix Suns win. So the Jazz keeps their one-game lead in the Western Conference. Let's get some uh, Let's get some post-game sound for you. Let's start things off with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. We will get started uh, with the first question from Tony Jones, the Athletic. Coach, um, you know, as you guys head to the playoffs, is – you know, how important is it just for you guys, you know, just through through your process, just to be playing well, um, you know, as the regular season winds down? And how did that, you know, um, kind of translate to tonight? Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm probably in the minority, but I actually thought we played well last night. We, we didn't shoot well last night. Um, and tonight... Um, we, we, we played well in a, in a different way in that I, I thought the ball really moved. Um, you know, for, for us t- to be the team we want to be, um, you know, our guys just trusting each other, changing sides, making quick decisions, and then obviously defending. So I, I just thought we were, we, were, we, were, we were solid tonight, and obviously we made, we made shots. All right, next up, Kristen Kenny, Jazz TV. Well, Coach, we talked about uh, right before the game wanting collective effort, and it really seemed like you guys showed that. But just uh, what are your thoughts on your defensive 
effort in particular, looking in that first half, I mean, zero second chance points, defending without fouling. Those are, you know, those are things that are important to us. Um, and I, I think over the last, you know, week or two, we've started to, to dial in more, particularly, um, you know, on the defensive glass. We, we can't rely, you know, on Rudy and Fave to, to clean up the glass on their own, particularly if they're contesting shots. And I thought our perimeter guys, you know, basically doing their job. And when we're able to do that, particularly if we can get rebounds with, you know, with our guards, it gives us a chance, you know, to get out and transition and, and try to get some, you know, some, some open looks. So, um, you know, good, good. It's good to see habits, man. Obviously you want to sustain them. And, you know, that's, that's the challenge right now is to continue to, the more you do it, the, the more it becomes who you are. And, you know, that's what we need right now. Eric Weldon, Salt Lake Tribune. Quinn, when we spoke pregame, you kind of took issue with the with the suggestion that you guys weren't sharp the other night. Is sixty four percent from the field, fifty eight percent from three, and franchise record one hundred fifty four points about as sharp as it gets? Yeah, I, I don't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I really didn't take issue with it as much as it wasn't necessarily what I, I thought the issue was last night, you know, um, we certainly weren't sharp in, at the end of the game, um, you know, but I think um, collectively, you know, it, little things just, you know, when you make a pass, you know, where is that pass? Is it accurate? And, you know, those things oftentimes um, contribute to whether or not you're making shots. Um, you know, if we're looking at a three game stretch, I think, you know, three games ago, we we weren't precise at all, particularly with our spacing, um, and we got better. And obviously tonight, um, some things went our way as well. And that, that's, you know, if we can play the right way, you know, defend, and, you know, that's how I want to evaluate our group. Um, if, if we evaluate our group on whether the ball is going in the basket, you know, th that has a tendency to make people – not want to shoot. And that's, you know, we, we can't be that team, you know, we've got to continue to shoot and there's things that we can do, um, you know, to make more shots, but, you know, certain times this is a make or miss league. And, you know, the, the real challenge I think is to win when you're not hitting shots. And, you know, that's something we've talked about all year. And as you said, we were fortunate that the ball went in tonight, but I thought we did some more things, uh, that contributed to that, particularly, um, you know, b being connected. Ben Anderson, KSL Sports. Quinn, along those lines, is it difficult to convince your guys to keep shooting when you miss 43s the night before? Um, we talked about it a lot, you know, and that, that's why, you know, I thought that game in some ways was significant. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's easy um, when you're not making shots, um, th there's the thought that you should stop, you know, and do something else. And I, I think there's truth to that, you know, to the extent you can get to the foul line, um, you know, you can get, get out and transition, maybe get something easy. Um, the, the, the priority really for me is, is quick decisions. And if that means we're open, it's a quick decision to shoot the ball. Um, and, you know, it, it, sometimes a game like that, like the other night, 
you know, if you can fight through that, um, that's, you know, that's how we have to play as a team. And, you know, that's something that we've talked about for, you know, for a while. So, you know, when you're not making it, it puts that to a test and, you know, obviously there's other ways to score. It's just, it's just not about threes. Um, as I said, I, I really think it's about quick decisions, which for us um, should lead to threes because we have good shooters. All right. Last question. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. When you move Jordan line up and I, I thought he played good defense uh, against his matchup. I, I kind of, I'm curious about his defensive development over the course of the last couple of years and, you know, kind of working on that side of the ball with a player, what, what that's like. You say George, Andy. Yeah. I can. Um, yeah. I, I think, you know, it, it's been consistent for us. Um, where guys that, that defend find their way onto the floor and or guys that don't defend um, find their, their way off the floor. And George has just made that a priority. And you know, anytime something's important to you um, and you try to be disciplined with, there was a play tonight where, you know, he shifted and he overhelped and the, the ball got kicked out to the wing and Davis made a three and, and it, it hurt him. Um, and cause he knew that, you know, he could have drifted more and that, that's such a subtle thing. Um, but for him to recognize that and to own that, uh, I think is, is what's happened for him over time. He just, he takes pride in it. And it's something that, you know, again, he has worked out and, and I think he's, you know, his habits have improved and, and there's a focus and a resolve. And, you know, I, th- I think maybe, one of the best things that he's done is, you know, he's, he's rebounded. And when we say rebounded, he, he doesn't rebound like Rudy, um, but he's gotten, you know, involved and mixed it up and, you know, got hits and got, you know, got his body on other guys and kept them off the glass. And, you know, it, it, I think it's true. You, you hear it all the time and, you know, sometimes it's coach speak, but when you're focused on those things, um, it's, it's interesting. Um, the, the ball, the, the rest of the game becomes easier. You it just, you become instinctive and you're not thinking about whether you're making or missing. Um, you know, if you define yourself solely by whether you make shots, um, you're not going to be consistent. And those other things you can, you can do every night. And when you do them every night, you know, my, my belief is that, you know, you're, 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 you're not thinking and you're, you're playing more free and you're playing aggressive. And, and I think that's what you're seeing George do. He's not playing defense because he's making shots. He's making shots because he's playing defense. There's Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder uh, giving some interesting thoughts on kind of his philosophy uh, in George Niang and playing defense. And he makes shots because he plays D. Really interesting uh, stuff right there from Coach Snyder. Let's hear from the players. And uh, let's start things off with George Niang. Uh, We'll go ahead and jump in with Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. George, uh, the Kings broadcasters made a joke early in the game that you were just the second best Iowa State product on the court tonight, and uh, they they quickly came to to regret that statement. Um, how did it feel? Oh, I thought you were saying between me and Matt. 
Oh no, they're they're talking about they're they're implying Tyrese. Um, oh yeah, they acknowledge they acknowledge their mistake as the game went on. Anyway, uh, how did it feel getting one put in the starting lineup tonight and two going out and kind of dominating <laughs> it with that kind of performance? Uh, you know, it felt great. Uh, you know, I, I like I said before, all of us uh, on this side prepare. You know, like we're going to play a bunch of minutes and know our role going into the game before then. So, you know, I wouldn't say anything was any different, um, obviously, besides minutes. But, you know, I went out there and tried to do things to help the team win. And that's make open shots and create shots for others. And, you know, we had some guys sideline tonight. And I think all of us were a little bitter after dropping two straight uh, to Minnesota. So we wanted to come out here and really make a point. Kristen Kenny, Jazz TV. Coach was talking to me about your balance um, and decision making being much quicker. How have you seen that part of your game evolve? Uh, you know, just reading my defender before the ball comes to me. Uh, that's been huge for me this year. You know, being able to make plays, whether if that's, you know, driving the ball or being ready to shoot, uh, just realizing how the defense is, is going to be playing me. Um, before the ball actually comes to me. And that's been huge um, for me this year. And it's helped me play better. I want to say it's helped our team win, but you know what I mean? It it all comes together full circle. Ben Anderson, Castle Sports. George, you talked before the season. I mean, and every player talks about getting better on defense. And so few actually learn how to do it. What what is it for you? Is it athleticism? Is it strategy? What, What are you doing better? Uh, you know, I think the biggest thing for me is just keeping guys in front, uh, you know, doing a good job of forcing guys to areas where, you know, they don't shoot the ball as well and, and you know, getting more in-depth in the scouting reports and, you know, like I said, pushing guys to areas where they're not as comfortable shooting the ball and using my size, uh, my length and, and, and my size um, to make them shoot difficult shots. And uh, it's, it's paid off for me so far this year, so I'm just going to keep chucking away and, and doing that. Is that your feet? You know, what is it that allows guy you to stay in front of guys? Yeah, I mean, I think our guys in the weight room uh, do a great job of, um, you know, working on our lateral quickness, um, you know, lifting heavy. So, you know, that when you are out on the court, you know, moving around out there is a lot easier. And uh, I started a new regiment with them and it's it's paid off. So it's 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 been good. My feet have gotten quicker, but it's tough for me to sit here and, talk about myself and say my feet are elite because that's not how I'm going to go about things. All right. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Uh, George, what did you see from Matt Thomas scoring 17 and 90? <laughs> I saw him trying to steal my shine and that's not cool of him. No, he was, he was great out there. I was happy to see Matt uh, make a ton of shots. He was great. He was great. He handled the ball. He, he made a ton of shots. He played great defense. You know, obviously Matt's a brother to me, so to see him succeed is something that makes me happy. So I'm happy that he got out there. 17 points in nine minutes, that kid has been filling it up since he uh, came out the womb, so I'm, I'm proud of him. Maxime from the Free Agent France. How do you explain your shooting success tonight? Sorry, I didn't understand the last part. What you say? How do I explain? How that? do you explain your mark, your markmanship tonight, your your success behind the arc? 
Oh, okay. Um, you know, I, I think you know, our teammates, you know, do a great job of looking out for each other. Uh, obviously what I do well is shoot the ball. Um, so when guys like Joe or Jordan or Boyan can get in the lane and I can get some space to free my hands and get a shot off, uh, that's what makes for successful nights. Those guys do a great job of finding me and making it easy for me to, you know, shoot shots. And tonight I was making them, you know, it's a lot better when you make shots. Um, that's for sure. All right. And last question, Kristen Kenny, Jazz TV. All right. Quick follow-up. You were talking about your defense and I was talking about Mike Conley with his defense this year and the improvement. And he said, man, Rudy Gobert, when he's in your ear, on the court <laughs> just makes your defense go to another level like, like after each stop he's like yeah that's what i'm talking about in yeah. your words can you describe how rudy is like how he's in your ear defensively oh he's constantly reminding us that we need to play defense you know when we, we usually check in at the same time on his second stint and he always seems to remind me as i'm running up like let's play defense let's play defense and if i cut someone off i can hear him and, you know, in the background being like, yeah, yeah. And then as he seemingly blocks someone's shot, it's it's pretty funny. But Rudy is our anchor. And Rudy, as we go, as Rudy goes, and um, he's tremendous for us. He allows us to play the way we play. Um, he's a defensive player of the year. There's no other way around it. I'll leave it at that. There's George Niang, 19 points for George last night. He had a big-time performance, 6 of 9 shooting, 5 of 7 from 3. Let's now hear from Matt Thomas. We will go ahead and get started. Our first question will come from Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Matt. So aside from uh, your buddy George Niang accusing you of trying to steal his shine with your performance, what's it like to uh, go out there and hit 7 of 7 score 17 points in nine minutes and uh, contribute to a franchise record, 154 points. No, it's, it's awesome. Right. Like, you know, as a, as a shooter and as a scorer, it's always feels good when the ball is going in the basket. And tonight was just one of those nights where the basket looked pretty big for me. And I got a couple, you know, cuts and layups um, to kind of get myself going there at the end. And then uh, the few uh, three pointers kind of just followed. Okay, next up, Ben Anderson, KSL Sports. And Matt, kind of the flip side of that, I, I imagine when you get traded to a new team and then you just go on a weird cold stretch, that's got to be really frustrating like it's been over the last couple of months. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely tough and, and frustrating, um, like I said, as a shooter. And quite frankly, I haven't had a cold stretch like that, um, you know, since since really like college. So, um, it was just something I wasn't used to. Um, and obviously with my role, you know, with the team right now, you know, some games I'm playing, some games I'm getting some minutes at the end of the game, or sometimes I'm getting opportunities when guys are hurt or, or we're, we're short on the bench. Um, but at the same time, I got to always be ready for my number to be called. And um, hopefully, you know, tonight I kind of got out of that slump. Uh, next, Christos Saltas, uh, Sports DNA out of Greece. Hello, Matt. Congratulations on the win, the performance as well. Mm. About your, about your speaking about your performance, what are the factors that uh, helped you to make that uh, game tonight, and how prepared yourself to stay ready, to stay always ready to be on the court? I think you know just just being consistent, being a professional. Um, I've always kind of prided myself at you know working very diligently and. Um, 
just taking every day as an opportunity to get better. Um, regardless if I'm, if I'm playing or how much I'm playing uh, on this team, I'm always, you know, working for my next opportunity. And, um, I think that's all just part of, uh, embodying being a, a professional. And, and I try to do that to my best ability. There's Matt Thomas played nine minutes last night, but had 17.7 of seven shooting three of three from three. Let's wrap things up now with Boyan Bogdanovich. We'll go ahead and get started real quick here. Uh, we've got David James, KUTV. First up. Boyan, you went to the hoop for a lot of layups and dunks tonight. How much of that was just something that happened during the game and how much of that was, uh, you know, talking to coaches, watching film and planning to do it? I mean, I shoot pretty often last last game, so I was trying to get in a, in a different way in this game. I think our offense was was great, but also our defense was was on a point, especially in the beginning of the, of the second quarter. Young guys, second unit did a great great job defensively, so we had a lot of lot of easy easy ones. All right, Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Well, and what's it like? being out there when just everything seems to be clicking that easily. I mean, it's, it's, it's great to be, to be the part of, of, of the team that is, that is winning like that. Then every, every single shot there, whatever we do, it's, it's going on a, on the right way. We really, we really needed this game before the big one in, in, in Phoenix and, and we struggled the last couple of games. So, so it's great that we had this win tonight. On this way. Uh, next up, Christos Saltas, Sports DNA out of Greece. Hello, Bogan. What was the most impressive part of tonight's game from your perspective? How important is to build on that effort? I mean, that is our defense. I know that we are always talking about, about offense, especially when we play without Donovan, Donovan and Mike. But I think our defense, when we play defense like we played, like we played tonight, like I said, especially second quarter, it's easy. It's easy for us to play when we don't have those two guys, when we run in, in transition and, and, and scoring easy buckets or, or trying to find the, the easy threes. That's the way how we can, how we have to play. When we ha- when we have Donovan or, or Mike out. All right, Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune is next. Oyan, have you ever been part of a 150 point game in anywhere in your career? Oh uh, no, I don't think so. Not not even close. So it was it was big big night from from our, from our side. Yeah, I was I was also surprised that we that we put up that that number. There's Boyan Bogdanovich, 24 points last night from Bogdanovich, 7 of 16 shooting. He went to the line 10 times, 9 of 10 from the line, 4 assists, and 3 rebounds. Up next, number 1 versus number 2, the Jazz take on the Phoenix Suns uh, on Friday night in Phoenix. That game will tip off at 8 o'clock. Pre-game coverage will begin at 7, right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. There is the best of the post-game show as the Utah Jazz just blow out the Sacramento Kings. We're going to take a break. When we come back, what is trending? Stay with us.